The contents and conclusions of this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome to our latest episode of The Mouthy IP. Today we have our dynamic duo of Sarah Stream and Dr. Richard Hankins. However, you're tuning in because of our special guest today. Our special guest is Gregory Holder. Greg, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Gregory Holder, or Greg Holder. Um, I am a policy analyst here at CDC's Division of Oral Health and our National Center for Chron Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion. Um, I work on uh, a pretty big portfolio here for such a tiny little division, but uh, one of the things I do is infection control, which is why I'm here today. Thanks for being here. Greg, so I'm curious, what uh, what background do you have to have to be a policy analyst at the CDC for Department of Oral Health? Uh, if people ask me, are, are you a dentist? I am not a dentist. No, um, I uh, my experience with oral health was that I have teeth, um, but I don't have all of my teeth, actually. And that's actually one of the reasons that I, I started here. Um, I was, for the first couple of years of my CDC life, I was in the public health associate program and was placed down in uh, Port Charlotte, Florida, which is a a fairly small county on the, the Gulf Coast. Um, and after a couple of years as a field assignee, I came up to um, CDC proper here at the headquarters. And um, I uh, I picked this, this division to apply for because of my experience in like having no insurance for a while, particularly dental insurance and having to have teeth pulled because of, of financial reasons. And nobody should have to go through anything like that. Um, and so that's why I'm here to try to fix that. Um, my background, actually, I have a, a degree in, in political science um, and constitutional law. And then I have my master in public health from East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, but yeah, this is a you know, policy. When you get into public health policy is your way of, of using the biggest lever you can to make systems change. And like, that's an exciting thing for me. Very cool. So... Uh... What current projects do you have going on right now, like outside of infection control? Oh, so I guess I should talk about, I mean, we're, we're a tiny little division. So the Division of Oral Health, I mentioned, is in the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion, one of CDC's 27 centers, institutes, and offices. And we do have like a big wide portfolio agency-wide. Um, so our division does a few things. Um, we support and promote effective interventions to reduce uh, cavities, one of them being school-based sealant uh, programs. So um, we fund 20 states to run a program to go into schools that are uh, that have free and reduced price lunch as a proxy measure for their access to uh, or good oral health care. And they do sealant programs, which are plastic coatings that are painted on the, the rear molars to prevent cavities. They're phenomenally effective, um, uh, reduced cavities 80% in the first two years, 50% after five years, and can stay on up to 10 years. 
Um, so they're a, it's a very effective intervention. Um, the other main intervention that we promote is community water fluoridation, which is um, the controlled addition of, of a very small amount of fluoride to water and that improves oral health, uh, even after the advent of uh, the uh, fluoride containing products like Crest toothpaste and onward um, in the mid 60s, even fluoridation uh, reduces um, tooth decay about 25%, even taking in those things into consideration. And so we don't have a big nozzle in the bottom here. We help states and local uh, places. Um, um, we do technical assistance and give them information, um, work with some of our national partners, uh, write letters and just sort of be a resource. Um, I helped write a, with that thing. I helped write a train. We have a training called Fluoridation Learning Online. That is a, it's designed for um, water operators and, and state fluoridation people. But it's a really good. Like if you, if anybody out there is likes to talk about it, the first module of that, there's a, it's a really great sort of background on on what fluoridation is, how it, how it's useful, and how it helps public health. I um, helped write that that training. Um, and so we, uh, another, the next big thing that we're doing, I guess, project wise. Um, is a uh, developing a national framework for medical dental in integration. Um, as I'm sure most people are aware, healthcare in this country, medical side, the dental side are provided by entirely separate um, insurance structures and, and payment structures and uh, structures of uh, training and education. And so we're working on a on building this framework, working on a, a literature review and a report. Um, what we've we've been working with the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors, and uh, we gave them funding. They, they've done this review. Then what they did in their analysis, they've discovered that um, to integrate these systems of care is going to come down to four different things. There's the awareness of the issue, so that medical dental integration is a thing and should be a thing, and, and the the oral systemic connection that if you have inflammation in your mouth, you have inflammation in your body, and that there's connections between oral health oral health and diabetes and heart disease, um, workforce development operations. How do you um, train people? I, I think if you ask a, a medical professional, a doctor, if you hey, do they give you any training on teeth, they'll tell you no, uh, because the, for some reason the mouth is not considered a part of the body in medical school. And sort of likewise, other than the dentists are medical providers, right? Are they're, they're healthcare providers and they can't tell you anything else sometimes. Um, and so how do you also work? I that think I got like a day of training. A, a day out of yeah. how many years. Right? <laughs> like, and, it's, and it's a shame though, because like that's, that's the whole, that's part of the whole thing is, you know, when's the last time your doctor looked in your mouth, except to look in the back of your throat. And mm -hmm. there's so much that can be uh, told by somebody's mouth. Um, like if you see extensive decay or extensive calculus or, or you see periodontitis, you can go, something else is going on here. They may be affecting other parts of their body, but also it could, could be just one of those, like, do you have a toothbrush? Like, are you, what do you, that sort of, um, it's all tied together. Uh, there was a, uh, some research that came out of the CareQuest Institute that um, I can't remember the specific numbers, but tying uh, poor oral health to any, any number of, of things that are, is it necessarily like causing that? No, but it's sort of a, a broad picture of the habitus of, of what's going on. Um, so training medical providers and getting that sort of worked into the clinical workflows. Um, how do you get the payments uh, fixed up? Like I mentioned, these are totally, no, nobody is, is going to do any of, of this sort of stuff if they're not getting reimbursed for it. And also how do you get the information to exchange? How do you do warm handoffs between providers? How do you get health records to talk to each other? Most people don't realize that, I mean, health records 
um, speak a language called HL7. Um, it's just a programming language that that, uh, that health systems use. And an, an electronic health record that a medical like Epic or whoever that a, a hospital uses and one that a dentist uses speak the same language, but they don't talk to each other. And it's deliberately designed that way. And we think that's kind of silly. And so we're doing all this stuff. Right? We're going to come out with a partner engagement piece. Um, this is the next big thing. We've actually identified this at CDC at the highest level. Um, Dr. Walensky has included this as one of our core health equity goals as well because of the uh, potential to improve overall health. And so are you talking about like interfacing between EMRs, like a, a dentist EMR and then? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's, um, and that's one, that's one tiny piece. These, these are things that could be implemented at uh, a clinical, like a local micro level, like at a clinic level where the, uh, um, like you're talking about a, uh, if you have a co-located clinic where you have a health department that has a, a medical clinic and a dental clinic so that their records talk to each other. So that somebody that um, is walked down the hallway, they, they have access to the records um, uh, or system wide. I know there's some big, um, what we call dental service organizations that are, um, you know, they have multiple practices that have talked to a major healthcare records, and now they have an oral health component, and now doctors can access the dental records as well, so they can look and say, okay, you have periodontitis, and so how do we fix that? Yeah, that's a that's a one thing, but these also can be implemented at this like the sort of that middle state level. Um, I always think of um, for like workforce, a, a state board of regents that sets the standards for education for especially a state college. Like they're the ones that say what sort of training has to be in, for instance, a hygienist training or a, a nursing training. Why not convince them to add some um, uh, some training on oral health to the nurses training and, and then like, you know, vice versa. And then at the national level, how do we get the national policy levers to, to move? Um, things like working with centers for Medicare and Medicaid services um, to get things reimbursed. And so this, this, this is not new. I will say that I'm not going to take credit for all of this um, medical dental work. This stuff has been going on for a long time in little pockets all over the place. What this is, is really a national effort. We're finally getting the federal government involved as sort of um, a leader and moving everything in the same direction. If you're familiar with the Million Hearts Initiative, um, it's, we're, we're sort of envisioning something like that. Million Hearts is a CDC initiative that um, is was designed about 20 years ago. And we said, you know, if we brought down blood pressure, we could save a million lives by preventing heart attacks. And it's got its own brand. It's got its own um, website. It's, it's this major thing where people can sign up and go, I want to be a part of that. Um, on the back, we uh, there's a publication that CDC puts out called Vital Signs, um, which is a, sort of a deep dive into a subject. On the back page of that, the fourth page is always like this list of, you know, I'm a, you're a clinician. Here's what you can do. I work at a school. This is what you can do. And that's what we want this initiative to be is like everybody should be able to look at this and go, I see myself in there. And patient control is actually one, too. I've been fighting a long time about like, because if you are, if you go to a dentist and you pick up, um, uh, and you get you get a, a needle stick. Where are you going to go for your treatment to for your uh, post exposure prophylaxis? Right, that's a mm -hmm. medical and dental thing. Mm -hmm. It's not what you normally consider with chronic disease, no, but it is still a you know uh, those are things that matter across those barriers. Greg, one question I have about this, and I I, I guess this is a barrier that I see, and I'm interested if for you to tell me is this a barrier or not? Is that in getting all dental facilities in the community to communicate with the medical facilities um, through an EMR, a 
medical facility and all its satellites is connected on the same EMR. And mm-hmm. I look at the dental practices and how there are so many solo dental practices and they each do their own thing. Uh, how is, is that a barrier? Is that not oh, a barrier? Yeah. You, meant, oh, you no, mentioned that the, you mentioned that the EMRs have a certain code that they all kind of utilize, even though they don't communicate. And so I'm curious, um, is that more easily fixed than I believe? Cause I look at that and say, gosh, that would seem very difficult. So, um, um this, uh, you you certainly hit on a big issue. Yeah, a lot of dental practices are you know solo. They're just a couple people. A lot of them are using a um, a centralized. Uh, um, I, I can't remember what the name of the the EDR the electric dental record. Um, like yeah, they they are tend to use it. So if there's a module or they connect that, it's one of those things that the problem itself is easy but also very hard. It's a it, this is definitely turning the Titanic type of thing mm-hmm. what for me you know i come into to, to health i was i mean I, I was a provider i was an ent for a long time and a firefighter so um i have a do have a little bit of a clinical background like uh, this is all like uh, i come in i come into oral health i come into policy from more of a business background like driving uh someone wanting to do it how are they going to benefit from it right like that's what's going to drive people to to want this which is what's going to drive something like epic to add an oral health module or whatever the edr that's you know most popular for, for them to communicate or have a partnership with with one of the electronic health records um i think a lot of it and this is actually uh something i've talked about before a lot but i think it's sarah too um like if a patient asks for it, like if, if your patients start to ask for these sort of things, why aren't, do you want to talk to my doctor? Why aren't you talking? My, my dentist you, the, told me that I should talk to you about X, Y, Z, that sort of groundswell, um, I think also can drive some of, of that change, but we're, we're clear out. This is a major, like this is a systems change. This is going to be a long, long time. Um, it's, it's vital though. So you, it, we've said a long time, you can't have good, overall health if you don't have good oral health your mouth is a part of your body mm-hmm. um and uh these are these the, these little things that need to change and what this is is that sort of national effort to try to uh, move that conversation along at least a little bit um because anything's an improvement right like i guess another question i have in thinking about how i framed that last question how you answered it as you touched on electronic dental record um is that mandated in dental facilities? Because I remember if, if you flash back like 10, 15 years where EMRs started getting mandated in, in medical facilities, that was huge system shock. People pushed back lots of problems. Um, I'd say it's the norm now, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like if you went into rural areas, you'd still see people using uh, paper records. Paper records. You know, um, it's real interesting because um, you're hitting on a, a real interesting uh, thing that we run into, um, I think, in the infection control space, too, is that dental facilities, like, for instance, when you're talking about the uh, EHR, the mandate that came down from, I believe that actually came down through CMS, I want to mm-hmm. say, originally, because it was a payment thing, right? It was a, we want to make sure you're not wasting our money. Um, every hospital gets money from CMS. There's not a lot of places in the dental facilities that that are under that mandate. And so like it's a major lever that um, the medical side has and the dental side just doesn't. I mean, I think you're right. Like when you get into the rural facilities, I think a lot of them like it's 
Dentistry is like the most remunerated of any of the health fields, um, but it's still, I mean, they run shoestring budgets a lot of times. And, you know, that's part of why payment systems is such an important piece of this thing. If we got to get people, you know, money for doing these kind of things. But I think you're right. I think that I don't, I don't think that there is a mandate for that um, because it'd be, it'd be interesting to see where. But again, maybe that's something that on the state level, they can add that to um, like state dental practice acts, that sort of like there, there are little levers. I think you're, you've hit on a, a very important point that like, it's not like um, this isn't going to be easy. And it's also going to be um, uh, probably small changes at a time until the groundswell is there. So I know you asked about it being mandated, Dr. Hankins. I know, I know the dental rules in the state of Iowa better than I do Nebraska, but in Iowa, it's not mandated mandated to have electronic records, but you have to submit electronic prescriptions. So right. there's like that part of it. E-prescribing now is pretty standard, especially with the opioid epidemic. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot of pharmacies that'll still take a paper script. Gosh, I don't know. Yeah. I I haven't seen a, a pad, <laughs> like a prescription pad in a long time. Well, you have to print them out. Yeah, you have to... Yeah. <laughs> Like, were you okay, even practicing a... when they were prescribed? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Not that much of a baby. No. <laughs> These are great ideas. I got to write them all down later. <laughs> oh, that's well. Funny. No, I just I was just was thinking about that as we're thinking about like oh the interaction between uh, electronic record systems, and I feel like I just jumped way far ahead and made this assumption that dental facilities have electronic record si systems. So that was something I was unaware you know, it's of. That's actually, that's actually good. I'm actually going to um, bring that up on Monday with uh, a group of us that, that talk about this stuff. We have, you know, we're a tiny, I think we're a tiny, we've done so far, I feel about what, what we're doing here. Um, we're a tiny little division. We do have a really, a guy, he's a dental, one of our dental officers. Um, and he is an amazing guy on electronic health records and dental records. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask him, this is a really good question to ask. How do we, like we we can't make that assumption either that you know, when we talk about these interoperability things that it's automatically just going to fix whenever we get them to talk to each other. So that's a that's a fantastic point. I'm glad you brought it up. We should probably talk about infection control too. Whatever, I can talk about what. <laughs> really. I'm enjoying this conversation. Don't. don't <laughs> so, um, the Division of Oral Health also supports infection control, along with all of the other great initiatives that you have going on. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your projects in that realm? We could, yeah, I can talk about some of the stuff that we've got um, going on and um, what we do. So we work, um, so CDC, we're a big agency, right? We're uh, actually 27 CIOs. We're a tiny little division, but one of the interesting things is that infection control in dental settings sits in our division. Um, most of infection control sits in an entirely different center, the National Center for Emerging Zoonotic and Infectious Diseases and their Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion, which um, I believe y'all may work with through there. That's the, uh, um, they do state AGI stuff. They do ICAP. They do all, they do a lot of stuff. And most of the guidance documents sit over there. Things like the um, 2007 isolation precautions, the 2008 Rutala guidelines for sterilization, disinfection in healthcare facilities, or the environmental. But um, as a little artifact from when the Division of Oral Health was brought to CDC um, and, and started up in 1991, 
um, the right during the mid, like the midst of the HIV um, uh, epidemic at that time. Uh, and so there was a report from Congress that a report from CDC to Congress, they said as part of the 1987 budget negotiations, you have to like, write this report on, on how, you know, all the healthcare could, you know, do uh, infection control to prevent HIV and, and hepatitis B. Um, and it just, whenever uh, the first guidelines, they said, we need some dental guidelines, uh, it was kicked over to this new division. Um, and so the 1993 infection control guidelines were us. And so they've always just sort of stayed over here, um, even though there's some other guidelines that are applicable to the ministry and are in other places and we point to them. So um, one of the main things that my part of the division does, I'm on the policy and communications team. Um, we, we we do the stuff, run our websites and do partnership development, make resources. Um, and so I guess the first thing is to point out that we have a great website that have all this information on it. Um, we, uh, anybody out there that um, has been uh, familiar with our work probably knows the the prevalent, like the, the, the prevailing guideline is the 2003 um, uh guidelines for infection control in dental healthcare settings. Um, and that one is... Greg, so as you say, you have a great website. Oh, I should say what it is, shouldn't I? You should say what the... Oh, like, right. Plug exactly. the website. What's oh, the man, website? So bad. It's right. <laughs> www.cdc.gov forward slash oral health. And that'll take you to our main website. And if you want to... There's a, a, a button on there on that page for infection control. If you want to go directly, um, it's uh, cdc.gov slash oral health slash infection control um uh and so that's our that's our main landing page it's got a ton i love of how the cdc like keeps their web addresses we try easy. to make it easy yeah yeah uh, you also can reach me at oralhealth.cdc.gov which is great because like that's easy also to remember um so yeah so we have we have a great website we have are the guidelines on it we have a summary document the the 2016 summary guidelines our summary of infection prevention in dental settings, basic expectations for safe care. That's a mouthful. Um, that's our green book. If you've ever uh, seen the, the little um, green bound book, that's uh, what that is, is taking the guidelines from 2003 and turning it into something that's a little more digestible, recognizing that, um, you know, our guide, like the real, like meaty guidelines are written by scientists and they can be hard to understand and, and put into practice at, you know, a local level. Um, and so we, we made this sort of user-friendly guide that's got um, the key recommendations, a little key information, the key recommendations for, like, this is what you should be doing for uh, standard precautions uh, for, you know, safe injection practices, um, uh, sterilization. We have some sections on dealing with water lines there as well. This is all like just the sort of the things that you need to know um, on that day-to-day -day level. Um, and there's a, a checklist in the back of it. The checklist is also available as an app called Dental Check. Um, so if you, if anybody listening is doing um, your annual reviews of your IPC, um, uh, your your standards and practices at your place, it's a, it's got a checklist for that. And it's also got stuff for direct observation. If you're ever just wondering how you're doing, um, you actually can go through and, and see how uh, how you match up with our, our um, the checklist. That's also available on the website. You can download that from the app as a PDF. There's also a fillable PDF of it on the website. As well, because that's one of the things we recommend in our guidelines is that um, that there is uh, that you do annual reviews and you do these direct observations so that you can correct things before they get out of hand. We we know that a lot of um, a lot of times um, uh, in a lot of states, dental healthcare personnel are trained sort of on the job. Um, they don't have, may not have a background in in 
uh, they just were, you know, working somewhere one day and came in and they're being trained by someone who may have been around for 30 years. And this is just how we've always done it. And that sort of creep of how, how you go from how you are trained to how it is 30 years later, because it was the easier way to go can happen. And so, um, you know, we recommend that you go all the time or at least once a year and do this sort of review of your, your, your practices and do your drug observations. You can do those corrections. Um, another thing we recommend is doing training. Um, that's a, a real important piece, sort of that same, if things are, um, getting out of, out of, uh, how they've been trained originally, it's good to do some retraining or as someone's like joining your practice and just starting. Um, and so we have a couple of resources for that. We have the basic expectations for safe care training modules. So if anybody's an infection control coordinator, um, these are a set of 10 modules with slides and presenter notes. And we know a lot of times of this uh, being an infection prevention coordinator in office is a voluntold position. And you may not feel comfortable with doing the education because you feel like you may not have the, um, you know, the, the background in it or be comfortable speaking. So we literally made slides, just put them up on the screen. And then we have speaker notes and you stand there and you read the thing that CDC said to read. And then there you, you've done your training. That's one of the things we recommend. Um, there's modules on all the standard precautions on, on sterilization, don't need a water lines, evaluation, um, just basic basics of infection control. And so that's designed for somebody to be able to give a presentation in an office. You can steal a slide, you can steal a piece of it if you want to put it in a presentation without doing the whole thing. That's totally fine. Um, one of the things that I'm really excited about because I wrote it um, is the foundations training, the foundations building the safest dental visit training. Um, and this is a, uh, it's built sort of as an amalgamation of those the training modules and the summary document and some information off our website. What we realized was during the pandemic that um, what was missing out there was a free training that provided CE for people. Um, and so we worked with OSAP, the Organization for Safety, Asepsis and Prevention, giving them a shout out. Great organization in dental infection control. We work with them a good deal. Um, they are a, uh, a, an ADA SERP provider. And so they agreed to provide three hours of CE if you complete this training. And so this training has got um, three, three modules with a total of 12 lessons, and it covers all the same stuff. It's the standard precautions, it's PPE, dental unit water lines, all the sterilization. It's actually got three lessons on sterilization because we think sterilization is really important. Um, all the guidelines and resources out there. It's got uh, um, a bunch of resources linked to it as well. Respiratory hygiene, cough etiquette. Um, and then once when you finish it and you uh, get your certificate, you go to the OSAP website and they'll give you three hours of free CE, which is, um, I want to mention again, free, um, which everybody likes. It's a great so, training. Everybody should take it. All the you. people should take the training. It really, I, it is. I mean, I know I, I wrote it um, and we, we want to, I mean, it's actually been out. We released it in 2021. Uh, we were, it was in the middle of the pandemic whenever we, we did it. Um, uh, we, we ended up having a little extra money because we weren't traveling, doing conferences and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's right. I did write it and it's, I think it's really great. We also know that it, it you know, if you have any, if you take and you have suggestions, please reach out to us, let us know what you, you know, tell OSAP what you want, um, to hear about. And we're happy to start looking at those. We're going to start working on um, some updates to the training as well, because we want to keep it nice and fresh because infection control, there's a lot of stuff in infection control that stays the same all the time. Like wear your gloves, sterilize your instruments, 
you know, there's stuff that you, you're going to be doing, but there's also new and emerging issues that, you know, we want to pay more attention to. For instance, building unit water lines is, is something that we're paying a lot of attention to lately. Um, it's probably going to be the first step whenever we do updates to guidelines because it's such an important thing and the science has, you know, advanced and changed some. We like everybody to know is that all of our guidelines are based on um, the best possible evidence, uh, whether it's infection control or elsewhere. We, we're continuously looking at this kind of evidence to make sure that um, you're staying safe and that you're keeping your patients safe. Well, in the so, meantime, ooh. while that is getting ready to drop here in the near future, um, if anybody's looking for resources for dental unit water lines, Nebraska ICAP has a great waterline toolkit on our website. So we will drop the link to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. I guess as I'm like thinking about dental unit water lines, Greg, one of the, I think one of the issues I always have, especially when I'm looking at um, dental research, dental infection control, is it doesn't seem to be that there's like a lot of publications and we only hear about things when something bad really happens. Um, and so I'm curious as to, um, are there research projects that the CDC is looking for people to do on dental unit water lines in order to evaluate things going forward? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that question specifically, but I'm going to say hazard a guess and say, absolutely. Um, that, all that kind of research is really important, right? Because like, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. We we just released a, a health advisory notice last year on uh, um, an outbreak of, of um, non-tuberculosis mycobacterium that was related to a dental infection, and they haven't announced where it is yet. Um, we're waiting on that that place to uh, uh, do their their publication. Um, but no, I think just generally, like the specific kind of stuff, um, I can't speak to, but like any research that we can get on it is going to be useful. So the, the way that this evidence review happens, so basically we have to go through um, the uh, the Healthcare Infection Control Advisory Practices um, Committee, HICPAC, uh, and they will do, like we're doing the evidence, we will take it to them and they will look at all the evidence out there and make an actual recommendation. So the bigger the evidence base is pointing to something specific, um, the better. Um, right now it's we're still recommending What's in the the guidelines, which is the 500 uh, CFUs or less? Um, you know, we'll see, you know, what happens with that or if it changes. Um, but if you if you know of research, we're always happy to, to look at. It. You can just email it to us at oralhealth@cdc.gov or reach out to us um, through the website. Um, one question I have for you, Greg. I hear all the time um, that they're just recommendations. Can you kind of explain what the word recommendation means from the I, CDC? Yeah, so that's actually a good, um, so CDC, it's important, we put this on, on every email that comes out of our, uh, out of our office um, about infection control, that CDC does not have regulatory authority that extends to in the enforcement of infection prevention control recommendations at, in dental settings or really otherwise. We have CDC has very limited regulatory there. I can't make you do anything. Um, there are, however, many people that can. For instance, your state can. It's in state dental practice acts. Um, there, uh, uh, there are some things that OSHA mandates if you're an OSHA state or your state OSHA. Um, there are, uh, if you are a hospital-based dental practice, you have to follow, you're supposed to follow joint commission. There are, there are lots of things. When CDC says recommendation though, um, 
that is uh, when it, when we're using it with like a capital R recommendation. That is something that's found in one of these science-based documents, the uh, the 2003 guidelines and the 2008 um, Rotala uh, disinfection. What that is is that we have looked at the evidence and we have said this is the thing that you need to do to keep yourself safe or your patient safe or keep things clean so nobody gets sick. Um, they are, I will, yeah. They are recommendations in the sense of I can't make you do them. But you have to think about it as like, what's your standard of practice, right? Like um, that is one of those things of do you do you want to be the person that said um, oh, it was just it was just a suggestion. I mean, yeah, it's a suggestion, but it's also like what CDC is telling you is is the safe way to go about doing that. And if you don't do it the safe way, what does that say? Um, I think that the big thing here is to remember that a lot of states do actually incorporate our guidelines as a state rule. It's in their state practice act that you follow CDC guidelines. And so if you don't, the state can get you in trouble with your license or um, uh, if you're, uh, you know, if somebody's underneath, they get you in trouble with that way. Um, so, yeah, when we say recommendations, that doesn't mean it's just really a, a suggestion. What that means is that this is we have reviewed the evidence rigorously. And an independent body has looked at it and said, this is the thing that you do to stay safe. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm very passionate about that. Like that's a, um, that, that is a, it's a thing that I, I wish I had the power. And we, we do to some degree rely on people to do the right thing. Is, <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to talk about since we have a few minutes left? Yeah, uh, more stuff on our website. Yeah, sorry, I got uh, distracted. Um, so one of the things that we do um, that and that I love to do is answer questions. Um, that's why I do podcasts. That's why I do, if you ever email CDC and about an infection control question, I'm on the other side of that along with um, uh, somebody else that uh, helps write these things. It's actually how I develop my expertise in doing this. I love answering questions. So that's the first thing. So if you have a question about our guidance. If you have a question about um, you know how to go about doing something, the first thing to do is go check our website, which again, www.cdc.gov slash oral health slash infection control. We have a giant section on frequently asked questions. Uh, and it's uh, these, these are not just questions we wish you would ask. These are legitimately frequently asked questions and we have developed answers for them. Um, and your answer may be there. And so you may have the answer. If you are uh, still um, unclear, you need some additional help, um, you can reach out to CDC. People do work here um, and we do like to help. So on the bottom of every page, there's a button that says, got a question? Um, and it will take you to CDC info. CDC info is CDC's national call center. Um, they have information to answer some questions, but most of the time for dental infection control, they're just going to escalate that to, to us and it's going to come to us and we can help you answer that question. Um, like so we it is a uh, it's one of my favorite parts of my job, first of all, but we also like to do it because we like people doing it you know, the right way, right? Like we like we like to know that if you have questions, you're not just winging it. Um, there, are, there are, we have recommendations, some states have rules and we're happy to help you work through that uh, as best we can, or at least get you to the place where, um, where you can do that. Greg, I really appreciate you, you coming on here. Thank I, I you very much. I appreciate y'all having me. I, you know, um, I want to make sure that everybody that's listening to this is also going to be, you know, 
enjoy it too. But yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I'm happy to come back do it. Wait, thank first, you for. I just need to say that when Dan introduces the show, he never introduces himself. So everybody, this is Dan German. <laughs> he is ICAP's data analyst and has the world's greatest podcast voice. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, um, uh, and, and you know, since I stopped being Kermit the Frog, you know, I've found other things to do. So you know, <laughs> it, it works out well. Thanks everyone for uh, joining us today, uh, and thanks especially to Greg Holder. Uh, that was a whole lot of information uh, crammed into very little time. And uh, please uh, consider looking at the show notes and uh, the links that are provided uh, for more information. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode, and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.